0: You're listening to The Word of Hope, a radio ministry of Hope Lutheran Church in Aurora, Colorado. Our preacher is Pastor Brian Wolfmuller with today's Word of Hope.
1: In the name of Jesus, amen. Dear Saints, Merry Christmas. Christmas. We continue to rejoice in this, that God has become our brother in Christ, that he's taken on our flesh. It's the fifth day of Christmas today, Uh, And we continue the celebration by hearing Jesus being brought into the temple. Jesus, in His infancy, took two trips to the temple, at least that we know of, that are recorded for us in the Scriptures. The first was when He was eight days old, and He was taken up by His parents for the rite of circumcision, and He was given His name on that day, the name Jesus, which means the Lord will save His people from their sins. And then, a few days later, when He was forty days old, so that Mary, his mother, could offer the sacrifices for her purification. Now, Moses had given these instructions in the law for both of these rites, for circumcision and also for the rite of purification for mothers that have just had children. But I don't know of a single place in the Bible where we actually hear of a family going to keep these instructions, at least in a normal way. We hear of circumcisions, but that's mostly because the law had been neglected and they were about to get in trouble for it. And I I can't think of a single instance where we actually hear of a family going into the temple to offer the sacrifices of purification. It's not that the families in the Old Testament weren't doing these things. It's just that the Bible doesn't tell us about it because this family is special. Luke is letting us know that this matters. This Jesus and Mary and Joseph going into the temple, this matters. This is more than a boy going for his circumcision and a family going to offer a sacrifice. This is the Messiah, Christ Himself, coming into His temple. In fact, the picture really is of, that Luke is giving us, is of God coming home for the holidays. <laughs> Jesus is going home. Now, we, I, I don't think we think about the temple too much. In fact, and, and there's a reason, is after the cross, after the death of Jesus, the temple had served its purpose. And it was destroyed, I mean, hundreds of years ago, August 10th, in the year 80 70, so that there's only a couple of stones that are left today of the temple. And they're not even of the temple, just of the foundation of the, of the mountain that Solomon built so that the, level would, the ground would be level for the building of the temple. We call it the Western Wall, and that's all there is. But this temple and the predecessor of the temple, the tabernacle, is central to our understanding of the Old Testament. It's central to the Old Covenant. If you were to ask a Hebrew, say during the time of King Solomon or sometime afterwards, where is God? They would answer that question without hesitation. He's in Jerusalem. He's at the temple. We would then say, because we think like Greeks, I think, (laughs) we would say, wasn't God everywhere? And they would say, well, of course He's everywhere. But He's at the temple. I mean, the temple is God's address. It's His dwelling place. It's the location that is built to contain His promises. The temple is the place where God Himself says He causes His name to be remembered. In fact, most importantly, the temple is the place where the altar was where the sacrifices are being offered. In the Old Covenant, there were sacrifices every day, morning and evening, and all the the feast days were full of sacrifices of bulls and of goats and of lambs. And all of this is to put before the Lord's ancient people His promise that the seed of the woman would crush the head of the serpent. The people were to stand there at the altar... And, and watch the priests offering the sacrifice, pouring out the blood and handing this animal over to the fire. And they were to know that this blood of the goat or bull that's being poured out and this animal, the flesh that's there burning, they were to know that God is accepting the death of another in their place. In fact, everything about the temple was to do this very thing. It was to bring God's people His grace and His mercy and the promised forgiveness of all of their sins. Now, we we read through the Bible, and we get to Leviticus, Numbers, and we read all of the instructions of the sacrifice and of all of these things in the temple, and it's almost overwhelming for us, right? Our eyes start to glaze over. This seems to us like a, a lot of detail that the Lord is including here, right? In fact, it seems like a lot of law, and to be sure, it is. But it's it's more than that. I mean, it's at the temple, it's in these sacrifices that the Lord is delivering to His people His gospel, His love, His acceptance, His kindness, His promises, His forgiveness. So, if you ask a Hebrew, where's God? They say, in the temple. I mean, God is everywhere, and this is true, God is everywhere according to His power, but He's there in the temple according to His mercy and according to His gentleness, and according to His smile. It's in the temple that the blood of the sacrifice covers the requirements of the law that testify against us. It's in the temple that things are declared to be holy and clean. It's there in the temple, in the temple liturgy, that the Lord has promised to hear the prayers of the people, prayers for forgiveness, and to answer their prayer. So that it's at the temple that God gives out that thing which we need the most, the forgiveness of sins. And this is important. And if we don't realize that we are sinners, that our greatest need in this life is the forgiveness of sins and God's mercy, then all of the stuff that God does in the Old Testament and in the New Testament seems to us absurd. Absurd maybe even a little bit crazy. What in the world are you up to? But when we know that our greatest need is the forgiveness of all of our sins that we are marked with our sin and deserving of God's wrath, then things begin to make sense. The tabernacle and the temple and the sacrifices and the priesthood and the prophets and the priests and God's intervention into world history like with the plagues and the miracles and the signs and the wonders and the troubles and the tragedies, all of Israel, all of this makes sense because all of this is the Lord working to deliver life and to deliver salvation, to forgive sin. I mean, after all, God can't simply waltz up to sinners in His unveiled glory. The result is our destruction. His holiness is dangerous to us. His holiness is destructive to sinners. So God will clothe Himself, wrap Himself in humility, cover Himself in means. He hides Himself in the temple. And he covers himself with the blood of the sacrifice, so that his presence wouldn't destroy the people, and so his presence wouldn't destroy us. We are—I don't—I don't know what I was reading. I was reading something this last week, uh, and they—and the person was saying that uh, we are now entering the post-postmodern age, which I'm glad because I never knew what the postmodern age was to begin with. So I'm ready to move on from that. But they called it now, this new thing that we're supposed to be entering into, the age of spirituality. Now, uh, we know something about this. You've all heard people say this, right? And more and more we hear it. I'm spiritual, but I'm not religious. I'm a very spiritual person. In fact, I imagine if we go out and we ask people, are you a Christian? Most people would say no. But then we ask, are you spiritual? And most people would say, sure, yeah. Very spiritual. Now, who knows what in the world that means? I think we know. It's, it seems like it's just the old mysticism. It boils down to this. This spirituality is wanting the presence of God without His promises. The, the person who's spiritual wants a God without words. <laughs> think about that. Especially a God without commands. I mean, the flesh loves that. Your flesh loves that. I mean, this kind of spirituality is not just out there. It's in our own hearts as well. And we see it in how quickly we forget our own sin, how how quickly we forget that we deserve God's wrath. We we forget that His holiness and His presence is, in fact, dangerous to us. And so we think it's good to be in the presence of God without His promises. This is what Luther calls looking for God nude. And he talks about these kinds of uh, the, these kinds of theologians as trying to sneak up on God in the bathroom. <laughs> That's Luther for you, vintage Luther, right? But this is dangerous, the presence of God, unclothed, without means. The result is our destruction, which is why God hides Himself in the temple. And it's why God hides Himself in our flesh and blood. I mean this is then the miracle of christmas that god has hidden himself in your flesh and in your blood in our humanity so that we can be with him and not be destroyed so that we can see him so that Simeon could could take him up in his arms and and say now he's ready to die so that anna could look upon look upon him in the temple with her own eyes and speak to everyone around of the deliverance of Israel so that Mary and Joseph could take him up to the temple to be circumcised so that, so that John the Baptist could splash him with water so that Jesus himself could take bread and break it and so that soldiers could smash his face and whip his back and nail him to a beam. Jesus takes on your flesh and your blood. It's God hiding himself for the very purpose of revealing himself. And it's right there in the arms of Mary being carried into the temple and then back to Bethlehem, being stowed away to Egypt, being raised up in Nazareth. There, walking Himself on the shores of Galilee and on the roads of Judea and Samaria and standing in the temple and sitting at the table and hanging on the cross, there is your God, your Creator, the Holy One of Israel, hiding Himself so that He can find you. Covering Himself... So that you can see Him. And dying so that you can live. And we are sinners. And to be found by God in His glory and His unveiled majesty would be our destruction. But not at Christmas. There is God hidden. There is God wrapped up in humility and in humiliation. There is God clothed in your flesh and your sin and your death so that you could be in His presence and have joy and have life and have the forgiveness of your sins. So, where is God? Wherever the flesh and blood of Jesus is, But isn't God everywhere? Well, sure He's everywhere. But He is in Christ for you. For you are a sinner. But you are a sinner who has a Savior. You are a sinner who has Jesus. Or maybe better, Jesus has you. He has found you. He has forgiven you. He has clothed Himself so that he could clothe you in his righteousness. And this is the the greatest Christmas gift of all. Amen. May the peace of God, which passes all understanding, guard your hearts and minds through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen.